Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner Evan Preparis. Brent is not on the call with me today, but I do have another guest. Before we get into that, though, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode. This episode is brought to you by Fat Grips. So Fat Grips are basically rubber sleeves that go over barbells or dumbbells, and it makes it stress your grip strength when you're doing weight training. So definitely a great tool. I've been using them for a couple of years now. Since I started doing OCR, I use them on any time I touch a weight, period. Um, they have the Fat Grips, which are the regular ones, and then Fat Grips Extreme, which is even even wider ones. So definitely an awesome product. Uh, if you train with weights and you're an OCR athlete, I would definitely pick some up. Uh, they're also a sponsor of Endure the Gauntlet, my uh, upcoming charity run in August. All right, let's get into today's guest. So today, joining me on the podcast, I have the female World's Toughest Mudder 2017 champion, Rhea Colville, who is also a member of the Spartan Pro Team. She's also won her first Toughest Mudder Series race this year, won two out of the three Spartan Point Series, or what used to be, I guess, the NBC Series, and is just all around crushing it. Last year, she had a total of 12 wins and 29 podiums, so uh, Rhea, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's uh, I'm excited. I think you're the first Toughest Mudder champion we've had on, World's Toughest Mudder champion, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> so before I start jumping into the questions, Rhea, I interviewed Rhea for my book, um, Mudder and Guides Ultra OCR Bible, read through some of her, her training and stuff she does, and I'm going to go ahead and make the bold prediction on air recorded so everyone can hear it. First woman to get 100 miles at World's Toughest Mudder, I'm going to say, is going to be Rhea. And maybe it's not this year, maybe it's not next year, but I think you're going to be the first one because you put in some insane training volume and you put in an insane performance last year. So that's my prediction. I'm looking at my crystal ball right now. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, I think it all depends on the venue, though. Um, So I think Vegas was nice because it was, like, very dry, but doing – the eight-hour version of it in Austin, it was very muddy, and I noticed the difference in a course that, like, my hip flexor was just shot after eight hours, so the course moving, I feel like, will make it, like, a whole new playground, so um, thank you for prediction, <laughs> but I guess we'll see um, this year or maybe in the future. Cool. Well, uh, so before I started the podcast, I sent, you know, before, I, basically before any, I talked to any of my guests, I asked them for a quick bio. Um, just so I can pull some of the information from them and use it to form some of my questions. So when I sent that question to Ray, I was like, hey, just shoot over a bio quick. She sent me back an athlete, or what she calls an athlete deck. So it's like her picture, some of her race highlights, and kind of what her plans are for 2017, I'm sorry, 2018. And frankly, it's awesome. It's like six slides. It's like a quick brief of who you are as an athlete and all, all this good information about you, you know, whether you're looking for... You know, it's a great product to use for interviews or for podcasts or for getting potential sponsors. So first, let me ask you, where did you or why or where did you come up with something like this? Um, I actually got an idea for that from um, Tim Sinnett. So he's um, Rose Wetzel's um, husband. But um, 
I got like pretty tired of doing things over and over again and I'm not very good at like keeping, you know, word documents on my computer and everything like that. So when people would ask me for my bio, I just kept writing it over and over again and I thought like that I was just repeating the same thing over and instead of sitting in front of a computer I could be running outside. And so this was actually a good way to just have it all in one place. Um, and also just like counting like the races and the wins and all of that, it's very easy to forget about them. So it's easier to have it as a DAC in one place that I just update after every single race that I can then just send out when people ask me for it, um, rather than doing it over and over again. Because I feel like once you do it many times, then, you know, it kind of gets boring and then you start, um, making it shorter and shorter and maybe omitting some information, but having it pre-made, um, just makes it easier for me and I guess also easier for people who are asking me for it because it's all it's all right there and I try to make it pretty easy to just pick out the information that you find relevant out of it rather than me trying to guess what the relevant information would be well it's awesome and this is the 51st or 52nd episode of the strength of the series podcast and I've asked that question you know send over a bio to I don't know how many athletes and you're the first one who's ever had like a pre-prepared piece of information to just shoot over to me, which is awesome, frankly. It cuts the work down, <laughs> I think, for both of us. <laughs> so I completely agree. So I basically encountered the same problem a couple years ago, and then I was like, well, why don't I just – I basically made a section of the Strength and Speed website, basically like all about me and things I've done in the past. So that's what I do. I just have like an online, and I just update that. So, you know, when I'm when I'm looking for a potential sponsor, I can shoot that to them or, you know, if I'm a guest, I can shoot basically shoot them the link. So, yeah. Definitely a good idea. Anyone who's kind of looking to go down that route or is um, you know, good idea whether it be a website or a just a slide deck you have constantly prepared. All right, so let's get into the actual questions about Rhea and training and all all the good stuff you've done. I know you have a busy training schedule. Explain to me a week in the life of Rhea. Um Rhea sleeps a lot. <laughs> I guess that's like one big thing that I changed um, now that I don't really have a job. Um, but I think I sleep a lot because I also train a lot. Um, so I would wake up in the morning, um, really try to do kind of without an alarm clock because I want to have my body just tell me how much rest it needs. Um, that's proving a little harder now that the summer's starting because I have been out running at noon as my morning run. <laughs> Where it, when it gets really, really hot, so I might have to um, change that a little bit. But um, I pretty much wake up, I, when I wake up, usually around 9, um, 9 or 10. And then the first thing I do is a run. Um, I run about 10 to 15 miles um, in the morning, just depending on the um, terrain that I pick, um, what kind of – so I do, like, a long run two times a week where I would go for over two hours. But it's usually also like just about 13 miles. It just means that it's more climbing and more technical trails, which all go slower. Um, but normally, it's I keep it like under an hour and a half, um, and just like see how many miles I get in that that amount of time. Um, and it's actually really nice because where we are, there's just so many trails. Um, I don't think I've done a single trail twice. Um, well, I've done like sections of trail twice, but you can always pick a new route. So it's always, it's always interesting and always a little bit different. And I try to do hills and some flats and like keep my flat speed and then also work on my climbing. Um, so I would do that in the morning. And then right after I'm done with that, um, I do some pull-ups because I learned that if I don't do them right away, I don't do them. Um, so I come home, do some pull-ups. 
um, eat breakfast, which sometimes happens at 2 p.m., but um, it's still the first meal, so I call it breakfast. And then um, in the middle of the day, I would do like a low impact activity. So I would either go for a hike or I would go for a walk or I would go ride my bike around. Um, just trying to be outdoors and moving, but not doing anything high intensity. And I found that doing that, I actually recovered better for my second workout. Whereas on the days when I'm at home sitting down, usually I feel a lot more sluggish and tired in the afternoon. Um, so I think it's just trying to be out and enjoying the sunshine, which there's plenty of um, in Boulder. And then in the evening, I do another workout, which is more OCR specific and targets more upper body. Um, so I joined with Yancey Kemp um, a few months ago. And so I do his workout three times a week, which is usually a killer. It combines some sort of cardio with upper body strength. And it's usually just circuits. Um, sometimes it takes me like an hour and a half, but usually it's Usually it's about an hour that I spend in the gym in the afternoon. Um, and then after that, I come home and my husband has dinner ready usually. Um, and then do recovery too. I guess I squeeze in recovery between workout and dinner. Um, I go to cryotherapy quite often. Um, sometimes I go to sauna if I still have time, which I usually don't because I usually show up five minutes before closing. So really the three-minute cryo session is all I have time for. Um, and then... After dinner, we would usually, like, watch TV or play some board games um, and then repeat. So it's pretty much every day kind of looks the same. The only difference is that sometimes my runs are a bit longer. But other than that, um, it kind of blends in all now. I think yeah, last time I accidentally labeled something as a Sunday workout when it was actually Saturday because um, it doesn't really matter to me except the gym closes earlier on a certain day. So that kind of lets me keep track. Um so, yeah, it's it, that's kind of like every day, and then you make a week out of it. Um, it's a lot different when I race because I do taper before, and it takes me about a day or two to recover after, um, which now that the season has picked up seems to be almost every week I'm either racing or tapering. Um, but, yeah, still like trying to spend as much time outside as I can and just trying different things and new sports and things like that. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a very busy schedule and a pretty impressive work volume slash intensity there. Now, I know you said you're racing, it feels like almost every weekend. So how do you balance, you know, like you said, you're, it feels like you're always tapering or recovering. How do you balance that and still manage to perform at such a high level? I'm actually quite lucky that it doesn't take me super long to recover. So um, I would race, if I do a Spartan race, I'd race both Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday, I would just do like a run where I don't care how fast I go, but I don't really find that I need to cut my mileage down on that day at all. And then Tuesday, I'm usually back to um, normal running speed and two workouts a day. And then for tapering, I also found that if I taper too much, I actually feel pretty slow on a race day. So I start tapering Thursday. So Thursday I would do just one workout. On Friday I would cut my mileage in half and also just do one workout. So really all in all in all, I maybe lose like three OCR-specific workouts a week. But then when you're racing, I feel like that is probably the best workout you could do um, because you are pushing yourself pretty hard and you're doing you're doing OCR. So I think just racing it itself makes you better if you can maintain recovery um, and, like, taper in a way that you are 100% at races. Um, I feel like it's really the best way to train. 
Good answer. The uh, that's a again. I'm I'm super impressed with how little you taper and how well you can still perform. I I take one usually two rest days if it's an important race completely off beforehand. Um, and if I don't, I I feel even sl- I feel very sluggish on race day if I don't like take a like a complete rest day beforehand. That's me personally, but. Yeah, I feel like it weighs different for everyone, and it probably also has to do with the fact that I grew up doing sports, um, so my body is used to it, and I do sleep, like, probably 10 hours a day most of the days, and I probably eat for, I don't know, a family of four, and I really try to, like, supplement my protein and supplement everything that all the, like, biomarkers that seem to be low when I do the blood, blood testing, so I really try to, like, make sure I do everything I can to bring the recovery time as low as possible. Gotcha. So for 2018, are you, are you focusing on a specific race series or are you, you know, obviously you've done well in two of the first three Spartan series races and you've also done one of the toughest. Are you planning on doing both Spartans, both toughest or the the toughest and then (laughs) anything else? Or is it just those two? What's your, what's your strategy this year? Yeah. Um, I wish I could do it all, <laughs> but um, as far as like my plan goes right now, um, I'm doing the U.S. Um, championship series for Spartan, so the five races um, that's now over have done, um, and then I'm, I was going to do the toughest series, but it seems like it's not really a series anymore where you do like the three races and then the combined mi- mileage counted, but since it's in my schedule now and I really do enjoy the eight-hour races, I think endurance is really like right down my alley because um, you don't have to go so fast. Um, so I'm doing Michigan this coming weekend, and then I'm doing the probably the Sonoma, um, the Norcal one that was rescheduled from the one that was canceled early in March um, for the toughest series. And then I also, I love mountains, so I'm doing the um, Spartan Mountain Series. So I'm doing the three races out of there just to make it a series. Um, and then doing the North American um, OCR championship because that was also moved from flat Texas to a ski slope in Vermont. So can't pass on that either. Um, And then the two 24-hour races, the World's Toughest Matter. And I'm really excited to actually do Spartan this year um, in Iceland because I saw those pictures and those northern lights, like running under those, just sound so amazing that – um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be like at 100% or like it's so far ahead, but just being able to participate, I really don't want to miss that this year. So that's kind of like the big grand goal. Um, I guess the bigger goal is to actually stay healthy and be able to do all of that. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a packed schedule and uh, doing a little bit of everything. Now, the, the Spartan Mountain Series, which of the – it's five races, correct? Um, I think there's six races, but you only need to do three. Okay. So I'm doing, I'm doing three. Um, I have one as a backup just in case if one goes um, not so well. But um, the plan is to keep it at three just because um, they're usually like a week before a U.S. championships race for Spartan. So um, just kind of want to balance wanting to do it all with actually doing well at the races that matter a lot. So do you normally plan for a backup just in case, or do you typically like to put all your eggs in one basket for those series races? Um, so I guess for the U.S. Championship Series, I'm doing all five, um, and four of them will count towards the final um, score just because I do want to – like you never know what happens. It could be 
the venue that plays to all of your strengths, but then you get a cold the night before. So I feel like it's dangerous to um, assume that you're going to perform 100% at everything that you go to. Um, but for the mountain races, um, just because it's a little bit like less important race, it's more for things that I want to do, but not necessarily like what um, it's not as big of a series. So I'm only planning to do three um, with the backup one because it does fit in my schedule. So if it happens that I want to go to that one, I can. But um, otherwise, I think I'll probably just skip it just to have more time to recover in between the other races. Cool. Again, sounds like a very packed schedule. Now, you kind of jumped ahead on some of the questions I was going to ask. So uh, the first one I was going to ask was, are you planning on defending your World's Toughest Motor title, which is... Yes. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a really fun race. Um, there were I had a lot of I ran a lot of penalties, and I've been working on my upper body a lot. So I'm hoping to put those miles more into the miles that count. And I also had a lot of technical issues last year in terms of gear. So I feel like I learned a lot in that area. So I feel like there's a lot of room for improvement from last year. But then, as I said, it's going to be a completely new playground with. Um, probably bringing new new challenges just because it's going to be more wooded it's going to be darker and more muddy and just i feel like it's going to be such a different race yeah and then i saw spartan iceland increase their prize purse i don't have the numbers directly in front of me but i know there's a substantial increase do you think that and now you're doing both you're doing world's toughest mother and spartan iceland do you think the increase in prize purse is going to draw some of the bigger names away from World's Toughest and into the Iceland race? Um, I'm not really sure because I feel like if you do if you do World's Toughest Mudder once, you probably want to do it again. Um, so I don't know if like a prize money would really draw you into a different race, but I feel like if you're a kind of person who loves World's Toughest Mudder, you would also want to do Iceland. Um, so I feel like it's a it's just trying to figure out if you can do both, and if not, maybe if you've already done one, you want to do now another one. Um, so I think it really depends from person to person, but um, I think so. I think the high bonus is for going hundred miles in Iceland, and just looking at last year results, um, I think the winners was at like sixty-five miles. And I know that what was super challenging was all the ice on the terrain. So I feel like at that point you can't really go much faster than what the terrains allow you to. So I feel like for Iceland it depends a lot on the weather and the conditions at the race. Um, so I personally don't want to um, don't want to like not do other things and just plan on doing really well in one race because it could be like sleet and like super icy and nobody would get anywhere you would just all be sliding on our butts or it, or it could be perfect so i'd rather do boat and try to do well at boat um and then just like see what happens um also doing a lot of burpees i feel like tires you out a lot more than running penalties which i think what makes the 100 mile goal at iceland um just a little bit harder because you do have to um, do all those burpees for the failed obstacles. Um, so I think it's just hard to get 100 miles there um, with the harsh conditions and all the environment. I feel like it would still be easier to get out of the world stuff as matter, um, which is why I'm not counting that race out at all. But I am definitely doing both because Iceland in the winter sounds miserable, which sounds kind of fun as a race. <laughs> 
Yeah, we had Allison Ty on the podcast earlier this year, and she was talking about it, and it sounded, uh, I mean, it sounded like a very interesting and kind of beautiful race with the Northern Lights, and she also said, uh, similar to what you said about the, a lot of the terrain and the ice allowed for, it was a lot of, like, power hiking, she said. Uh, yeah. At least last, last year it was, specifically. That's what I heard, and I did some ice running by an accident in Boulder when I didn't bring my micro spikes, and... It's definitely like walking on eggshells, and if you go faster, you just fall faster. So I feel like at that point, it's not really up to you. It's more up to um, nature, really, what what's possible to do and what's not, no matter how well prepared you are. Now, you said you used um, micro spikes. Uh, explain what those are for the audience. Micro spikes are this wonderful thing um, that you put over your shoes. It's kind of like a, the ones that I have are like rubber band that goes around your shoe and it has little spikes metal spikes on the bottom so when you're running on ice you actually have traction so you can run your normal run on an icy trail where without it you would probably just slide off into a ditch which has happened before um and it's really like whenever it's possibility of ice i would always bring them um because it takes so little to fall pretty bad on ice um and with those it's a lot better but i don't think you're allowed to have them um at the spartan race just because those things are pretty sharp um so if you fall and like crash into somebody or if you go on obstacles with those or if you like swing your legs and accidentally hit somebody in the thigh on um monkey rings i can see how that could be dangerous um so i don't think they allowed anything like that last year have you used the uh, yak tracks before yeah, um, I have used those, but they did not prove quite enough traction on the, like, super, super sheer ice. Um, they're a little less um, pointy, so I feel like they'd be a little more, you know, friendly to people next to you. Um, but they don't work quite as well on, like, the sheer ice. You must be running on, like, straight-up ice, because I've used Yak Tracks and thought they're... That's what, that's what I use. I think they're just amazing. So they're basically, again, similar thing, rubber... That goes over your shoe, and it doesn't have actual spikes on it. It's basically just like, it's like a coil. It's like kind of the inside of like a ballpoint pen, like a like a metal, like rings going around the bottom of your shoe, uh, and it it provides real good traction on ice, um, and snow. I ran I, I ran the abominable snow race, kind of like a local OCR up oh, in Wisconsin, and oh, the Colorado too. <laughs> what? There's one in Colorado too. It's oh, the same. Yeah. And so the, you know, I was, I was kind of on the fence if I was going to put on the yak tracks before the race and I went for like, you know, a warm up run, made it like 10 feet, almost fell, uh, with my ice bugs. And then I was like, I'm just going to wear the yak tracks. And the, uh, the race started with like a, you know, 50 feet. It was basically like a slight uphill and we started and I went off running and all I heard was people like falling behind me as you know, like, it was just sounded like a complete disaster. So yeah. um, definitely well, a good thing to have in your kit just in case. In, in Boulder, a lot of the times the trail is a mix of rocks and ice, and so those yak tracks actually have rubber on the bottom too, which is how they break really easily because if you stop a step on a sharp rock, it's just going to cut through the rubber. Um, and also people in Boulder don't really stop hiking when it gets very snowy, so they pack down the snow really, really hard, and then when it gets warm during the day, it melts, and then it freezes again. So there'd be like cases when everything is melted and then on the single track is where all the ice is. So I feel like it's just a combination of people being out and um, pretty treacherous trails that makes like, you really need like better traction devices. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, I know I actually, one of the little rubber bands across the bottom of my yak jacks broke during that race. Um, but 
It made it to the end of the race, so I was happy. Nice. For the most part. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, did you consider doing the Enduro Championships in uh, Australia? I got super excited because I was like, somebody is finally putting a 24-hour race in the summer. And then I realized actually also in the winter. Um, I was considering after doing the um, World's Toughest Matter last year because I realized I really liked this um, long, like, 24-hour running. But it is um, smack in the middle of all the important, like, short races where you need to be fast. And after last year's 24-hour race, it did take about two weeks for me to get my speed back. Um, so I just figured it's not a good idea throwing that in the middle of the season. I'd rather have two of those um, at the end when then I can take some time off and just run slow um, and not care about how fast I go and just give my legs a little bit of time to recover. I can I can confirm that that does uh, wreck you pretty good. I did I did it last year and took me several weeks to recover. And then on top of that, like you said, it is it is still cold in June since it's in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, um, but I, it was funny. It was I, I had done the same thing actually, like a, a year or two before that. I was like, "Oh, cool! Uh, they have a race in June in Australia," and like totally forgot that it was reverse uh, seasons down there. So, um, but obviously, before I went down there, I picked up the necessary equipment, and same as same as World's Toughest Mother, it's wetsuit weather. So it's a uh, it'll be a cold race. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, by the time this comes out, it'll probably this will probably come out right before that actually the race goes off. So okay, nice. Curious, curious to see how yeah. it goes. Follow along from from a distance. <laughs> now you're on the uh, Spartan Pro team. Is this your second or third year on the team? That's my second year. Okay, and now I know the Spartan Pro team went through some adjustments uh, over the last year. They they used the roster used to be a lot bigger and then they've kind of broken it out into premiere and select. Can you just kind of give the audience kind of a want a rundown of what the difference is between those two and what the kind of intention was there? Yeah, um, so I guess the main intention behind it is to just help the sport grow. Um, you know, you, you like twenty people is not enough to really have uh, a sport that's um, out there and that people know about and then they like it evolves and grows. So I think that was like the main intent of having the select team is just to be able to provide more athletes with um, some sort of support to be able to go to more races and um, just race more and, you know, get better at it. Um, as I said, like racing is probably the best training. So if you can give more people opportunity to be out there racing, then you're essentially growing the sport. And so what happened was last year um, the pro team was 20 people, um, and so they shrunk that down to five this year. Um, so it's me, Alyssa, Nicole, um, Ryan Kent, and um, Robert Killian that were on the pro team, and we're pretty much um, the ones who are at all of the U.S. championship series races, all the big races in the regional championship and Tahoe World Championship. Um, and we're pretty much the people who are, like, kind of top five at these, like, big, serious races. And then there's 50 or so other athletes on the select team, which are the up-and-comers who are winning um, the races that are maybe more local to where they are. Maybe they can really travel all, um, all around the country for it because, um, you know, people have, like, jobs and families, and it's really hard to be traveling, like, every two weeks for a race. Um, and so that's kind of the basic idea behind it is to have these two um, different tiers of the pro team um, where they're 
growing the sport by having more people in it um and then also just giving them opportunity to um you know to like be out there and to like do the local races and um do also the big US championship series races um if they want to cool well, it sounds like I mean, it sounds like a good way to help grow some of the top level of the sport, to uh, kind of expand some of those perks down to some other people. So, kind of curious to see how it plays out over the next year, and if they continue with this model for next year, or if they go back to the old model, or kind of what the deal is. So, I guess we'll see. Yeah. All right, I think I got through most of the big questions I wanted to get through on your like your current year and your current uh, way of training. But I wanted to jump backwards in time a little bit because with the Strength and Speed podcast, we like to talk about other sports and how those cross over into OCR and some of the lessons you've learned uh, from your previous background. So I know you did some gymnastics growing up or for maybe not some, it was a lot (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) So uh, for the audience who may not be keyed in on that, just take us through some of your gymnastics background um, before you got into OCR. Yeah, um, I was, I pretty much did gymnastics from when I was able to like properly run around. So I started when I was five or six and, um, I did it all the way until I was 17. Um, and that was back when I was in Slovenia. So for most of that time, I was on the Slovenian national team. So, um, we traveled a lot. We competed a lot. Um, there were a lot of, um, practices every day. We had trainings, um, daily pretty much for like four hours in the afternoon and then, a few times a week in the morning for another couple of hours. Um, so it was just a big um, commitment. It was kind of like how I grew up um, pretty much doing gymnastics and being in the gym. Um, and I feel like it gave me a really good foundation to um, do any sport now. Um, I feel like the coordination, everything, it translates to other sports. Um, after I quit, though, like it took me a while um, to really find myself. I got pretty chubby afterwards because um, when you're – doing gymnastics your diet is pretty strict so I made it my mission to eat all of the ice cream that I'd never ate growing up and I was pretty good at achieving that mission um so and I kind of started running because I was just so out of shape and so unfit that something had to be done about it and then I realized that I really did love running um and that was really the first time I was doing workouts outside so I love being like in the on the trails in nature which is something that you know in gymnastics I was always inside the gym um, and yeah, and then just that kind of the love of just trail running um, led to me being faster and faster. Um, and so I started doing trail races and um, got into ultra running and then accidentally did a Spartan, which turned out to fit my background really well because um, I kind of developed already some of the running speed and um, endurance and then um, like gymnastic skills you never really completely forget so um, it was just kind of it came natural how to move across monkey bars and go over walls and things like that well maybe not walls I still hate walls but just other things um, it was a little bit easier to like get into it so it's like I was better from the get-go because I did have the gymnastics background cool well um if you could say kind of one big lesson you took from gymnastics that you've kind of applied to OCR, what would you say that would be? Um, I think the main thing was just 
you should keep trying if you're not good at something. Um, so there are a lot of times when you would like fall and then the coaches would make you do it right again because they were like, if you wait, you're just going to be scared of it. And so it's kind of similar with OCR. Like if you don't get across the wall the first time, just keep trying it and eventually you'll figure out how to do it. So I think it's just the perseverance and um, just like working through pain. Um, I feel like I don't really have trouble being in the pain cave for a long time, and it's just because what I grew up with um, from being very little. And one thing I like about OCR, too, is um, I guess after I quit gymnastics, there was this, like, giant time that I had during the day that I didn't know what to do with. And a lot of other sports I looked into, they were maybe, like, an hour and a two-hour daily commitment. So I was really looking for something that would occupy me um, for a much longer period of time every day, and I feel like I finally found that in OCR because – um, there's just so much you need to work on. And, um, like, some of it is, like, running, which you really can do for that long every day. But then there's also other skills. Like, there's, like, spear throwing. There's hanging on a bar. Um, there's pull-ups. And it's just so much variety that you can really fill your every day with it and just keep doing that. And I think that's, like, what I really, really like. There's always something something else to do and something to get better at. I love that your reason for liking OCR is because – it requires a lot of training time. But I think the average pop, the average person in the population is like, what sport can I do where I can do the least amount of stuff during the day and still do okay on the weekend? You know, like, <laughs> I, think that, I think that speaks a lot about who you are as a person and kind of, you know, that drive. Um, I think that's great, so. Or maybe it's just because I want to avoid all of the, like, chores at home and errands that we need to do. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I need to go training. You have to clean the apartment. <laughs> That's, that could be too. That's that's true. I uh, I do the same thing where I'm like, no, I got to work out. I can't I can't yeah. mow the lawn right now. Or uh, <laughs> so actually, I, I mowed the lawn yesterday in a weight vest to uh, get some some additional training in while yeah, I walked around. Training for OCR, really, like anything you do, you can justify it as a training in some way. Yeah, I, I've done the. Uh, I have a seventy pound rec bag that I put on my shoulders sometimes and try to mow the lawn. And I usually make it about half the lawn before I get frustrated because it's very awkward to get that yeah. onto your shoulders and keep the lawnmower going at the same time. Sounds like um, like the actual ten back carry in a race. Yeah. <laughs> when you get frustrated halfway through. <laughs> yeah, the the weight vest was a lot easier. It was like almost it was almost no additional challenge. So I think uh-huh. I need to uh, go back to this the rec bag. Yeah. Uh, for future future training. <laughs> cool. So the. Um, let's talk like distant future. So this year you're doing a lot of the series. Obviously you did really well last year. Uh, you're on the pro team for the second year in a row. What do we, any, any kind of big plans for the future or are you just kind of taking it year by year, you know, day by day type thing? I'm definitely taking it year by year. Um, I feel like, so a lot of people usually say like, oh, you like with working out so much and racing so much, you're gonna burn out eventually. But um, I guess I have a little bit different view on like burning out and racing a lot um, because I'm not. I don't think I'll be doing that until I'm like 50 and 60. So I would rather put everything I have now into it and see how far that gets me, and try to do it for as long as I can at doing my best. Um, and then when I can no longer do it, then eventually I will go find a real job and, um, or maybe not, we'll see. Uh, but it's, it's not, it's not a thing that I 
I don't think I'll do that for like my entire life. So I'm just trying to do the best I can right now and do it a year at a time and just see what new challenges there are because this year is already so different than last year with all the new series and the eight hour races and the 24 hour races I'm doing. And then who knows what's going to be next year because I'm pretty sure, um, both Spartan and Tough Mudder will add more things to what they're doing and there'll be new race series and things like that. So, um, really like my bucket list is really long of things I want to do. Um, so I'm trying to do as best as I can with putting all of the work in and then just see how long that lasts for. I don't think I'm saving anything for the distant future because you never know if that's going to happen. That's a good point. So can we get a couple of the, the items off your bucket list maybe? Just a sneak peek of what might be coming down the future? Yeah, Um. so... Definitely the 24-hour Iceland race. That is probably the, like, nearest future bucket list item that I'm pretty sure is going to happen. Um, and then also, like, coming from an ultra-running background and now living in Boulder where there's a bunch of ultra-runners, I do want to do some of the, like, famous 100-mile races, like um, the Western States 100-mile race. Um, then there's the one in um, Mont Blanc um, that's also pretty insane. So there's, like, ultra-running goals that I have on my bucket list. Um, and then also um, another thing I really want to try is the Barkley Marathon. Um, I know Amelia did it this year, and I was pretty jealous of that attempt. But um, I think that will require a lot of learning how to navigate because I could get lost on a trail. And <laughs> when there's no trail, getting lost is, like, even easier. So um, that's definitely more of a distant future when I'm done with OCR um, or, I guess, when I'm taking a break for, from OCR. But right now... I feel like there's still a lot to achieve in both Spartan and Tough Mudder World, so kind of focusing on that short term. Gotcha. Yeah, the Barkley Marathons, I mean, it's it's a land navigation course. It's a long-distance land navigation course, so... Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people, uh, they'll want to do it that may not have the... I think there's a lot of pe- more people who could finish it that have the physical capability, that, but they're just missing that land navigation component, you know? You kind of yeah. need that both right together now. to be able to su- be successful. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then I also agree with, I mean, the Spartan and Tough Mudder with the number of series and changes, it's like, I mean, it's almost overwhelming. Like, it's, it's hard, you know, like, if you take a break from social media for, like, a week or two and you go back, you're like, wait, there's another series? What the hell's going on? It's, yeah. Um, oh, I guess it, the other thing that I'm not doing this year that is on my bucket list is the Grease Trifecta. Um, I really wanted to do this year, but it's a week before the World Surface Matters. So I'm not sure if it's a, the most amazing idea um, to do it this year. So that's probably my next year's bucket list is doing the Trifecta Weekend in Greece. Yeah, uh, same here. I, I wanted to do that one, but again, the timing is terrible for World Surface. So. Yeah. Um, my family's from Greece, or my mom's side, or both sides of my family's from Greece. So. Oh, nice. Um, going back there i've been back there for vacation it's nice but yeah um i think doing a spartan race in in sparta in greece would be it's kind of a cool thing oh so i absolutely agree <laughs> ray it's been great thank you so much uh before we go any people companies things you want to thank or shout outs you want to give yeah definitely um want to give out a shout out to my sponsors um so i have a scent protein with their um recovery um, protein, like, but whey for after workouts and casein for before bed. 
Um, and I do think that keeps my body running um, quite a bit better than what it was last year. Um, so I take it every day, and I love how it tastes. This. Um, and then I have Endurally, which is a pre-workout supplement, um, which makes me fast during that first mile where I used to die last year. Um, so I love um, what they make, too. And the guy there, Matt Mosman, is great with answering all of my questions all the time. Um, and then I'm also part of my gear um, team, so I love their socks, kind of live in their socks. I ran a road race in mud gear socks today. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was the only one there, um, bringing OCR to roads a little bit. Um, I have Race Soldier too, so they're, um, they make first aid kits. Um, they actually make band-aids with Spartan logo on them, which are super cool. So I wear band-aids just because they look so awesome. And they make this really, really good um, healing ointment which really heals your cuts super fast, which I think is very important when you're doing back-to-back races. You don't want to go in those mud pits with open wounds. Um, and so just using that helps a lot to be able to do it, you know, every other week and not worry about infections and stuff. Cool. Definitely some good recommendations there. Casein protein I'm a huge fan of. I've been taking that for, I mean, I can't even, it's been years I've been taking casein. I've been using Ascent, but... That's okay. <laughs> Different brand, but um, yeah. it's a I, I haven't tr- I haven't actually tried their stuff, but they seem seem like a pretty good company based yeah. off of uh, pro- you know what I've looked at them from online. The products are really really clean, so I do like to like understand every single thing that's on a label. So they only have like five things in it, and there's no added sugar. They actually use monk fruit, which is like this really nice fruit that you have to go to China to get it. Um, so it tastes really good, and it's it's good for you. So it's kind of like my end of the day treat before I go to bed. <laughs> nice. Do you mix it with water or I used to mix else? it with milk um, because I love like creamy stuff, but I need to supplement iron because I'm pretty low on it. Um, so I test it with Inside Tracker. Um, they also like help me figure out my blood work and stuff. And um, I noticed that supplementing iron actually stopped being efficient once I started drinking a lot of milk at the same time. And that's because when you're trying to absorb iron, iron and calcium actually bind to the same molecule. So you can't really do both at the same time. And calcium is much more aggressive, so it will pretty much displace iron. Um, so even if you're supplementing, you're not doing much good. So I decided it was worth to go to water. <laughs> it's still good, but it's not quite as creamy as with milk. But I guess, um, you know, little things that matter a lot. Have you tried uh, almond milk or cashew milk? It's just... Um, it's- I did try. It's not as tasty and it's almost as bad. So I figured if I'm doing this for real, I might as well live with water. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, I, I'm a fan of the almond. I usually use almond milk with the casein. Uh, okay. It makes it a little creamier, like you said. And yeah. I think it tastes a little better. But If only almonds yeah. didn't have calcium in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, again, before we go, you mentioned Inside Tracker. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so I test with them every, like, few months. Um, what they do is they look for – they take the blood and then they do the testing for all the different biomarkers that are related to um, just, like, overall health and then also athletic performance. So um, it, what I like about it is it actually looks at, like, how much you exercise and what kind of exercise you do, and then it gives you the recommended ranges based on that. Because when I was 
iron deficient. I felt like so tired the whole time, and my doctor was like, "Eh, I think you're good." But then when I tested with Insight Tracker for a female athlete, my levels were actually really, really low. Um, so I just kind of use it now to see if um, my supplementation is working. And also it's a good way to see if I'm actually recovering well. So I tested um, about 10 days after my eight-hour toughest race, um, and that was right before Big Bear. Um, and that the purpose of that was I wanted to see if two weeks was enough for me to recover because if you don't recover, then you're just kind of digging yourself deeper into a hole. And once you realize you're in a hole, it's too late to climb out. Um, so it's just kind of a fast way to tell what your body is lacking before you start feeling it. Because once you feel it, it usually takes a while to correct for it. Um, so it's just kind of my guidance to what to supplement um, and what I'm getting enough in in my diet. And to get those results, is that a take-home kit or is that something you go out and have to go to like a doctor for? What's the process there? You just go to a blood drawing center. So usually um, I use Quest Diagnostic, which is usually in Safeways. Um, so there's one like half a mile from where I am at. And then they send it over to Insight Tracker. And I get my results within a week. It's like super fast. Um, and then it kind of like saves them on your profile. So you can actually see how your values are changing over time and um, how that correlates with how your training is changing or what you're supplementing. Cool. Well, uh, I think some great information there and definitely something for those of you people looking to take their training and performance to the next level, a good option uh, to look at in the future. And uh, I think that's about it. So, Rhea, thanks again for coming on the podcast. If you want to hear more about Rhea and her training, uh, we inter- like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I interviewed her in the back of Mudrun Guide's Ultra OCR Bible. So uh, pick up a copy of that. It's available off of the website, teamstrengthspeed.com in the online store. So you can check that out there. And um, I think that's about it. I will see you this weekend in uh, Michigan for Toughest Mudder. That's right. I'm excited. See you there. All right. Have a good night. You too.